0: Welcome to Rome Community Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. We're going to be in John chapter 7 this morning. John chapter 7. And actually, you got to bear with me because what we're going to go over is actually a lot and it's three chapters. Uh, So I'm not joking. It's John chapter 7, 8, and 9 because it all flows together. Well, will you pray with me as we go into God's word? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here together. Um, I'm just amazed as scripture highlights and points to your plan of redemption. And even as we look through this gospel and how John highlights these Old Testament festivals and how they all pointed to Christ. Lord, may we just be in awe, not only how your word works and highlights and points to and magnifies who Jesus is, the Messiah, but in our own lives, that there be conviction and reminders in our lives where Christ needs to be, who rules and reigns, who has all authority. So we come humbly before your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would just bring it to light in our minds, in our hearts, that we would leave here, not only in awe of you, but Wanting to live out boldly the gospel, so bless our time now in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. So, if if you were here last week, you know know that we started a new series called Jesus Fulfills. It's going through the Gospel of John, and if you're not here, don't worry. I'll just kind of summarize as quickly as I can, but. The gospel of John is unique. That's why it's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Those are called the synoptic gospels. John's different. He's like the wild card. Uh, and, And you notice when you read it, he just does things differently. I mean, even how he starts out with John 1, it's it's different than the other gospels. And the reason being is because he's navigating, pointing to the picture how Jesus is the Messiah and fulfills Old Testament, um, the Old Testament in many different ways. And so he kind of highlights different things, uh, like they, they call it the signs, and then also his miracles, and and those would be the same, or his discourses. And so John's highlighting different things of what Jesus said and did because it's all pointing significantly to Jesus being the Messiah. And so as I will tell you and remind you that the whole Old Testament who does it point to? Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. That's a good one, okay? Who the Old Testament points to who? Good job. So, as we know, that's what John is doing. He's pointing to the Messiah. And so, we're looking at chapters 5 through 10 and it's the Jewish festival or feast cycle. And John chapter 5, he starts out with the Sabbath, and you're like, well, hold on. The Sabbath is considered a feast, and technically, yes, Leviticus 23, that's the first thing that's mentioned through these different feasts, and it's the anchor to all festivals. And then John chapter 6 is Passover. We're pausing on that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit as we approach Easter, but now we're coming into John chapter 7. It's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Six months passed from Passover to now. Usually this, this ceremony or festival takes place in the fall, September, October time frame. And so it's actually interesting. Uh, my wife and I we went to New York City during the fall end of September, early October, and there's uh, some Orthodox Jews there, and they had I, some some vegetables, and they were talking about this feast in front of us, and I said, hey, I'm familiar with this feast, and obviously, they looked at me like, you don't know what it's about, and I'm like, it's about Jesus, but anyway, they, anyway, the conversation ended right there, um, but as we look at this chapter, it actually is pretty remarkable in Jesus's timing and what he says. And so we come to this discourse in John chapter 7, chapter 8, and then the sign in chapter 9 of the healing of a man born blind. And everything's pointing to the significant, not just the festival, but how Jesus fulfills it. In summary, it was an Old Testament festival adopted to the Israelite story of redemption. It focused on God leading his people through the wilderness, which during those 40 years, they lived in booths, or the tents, as you will. They called booths, to the productivity of food in the promised land. So this was a festival, a reminder of God's provision and faithfulness during the time of the wilderness experience, uh, after the exodus, before they enter the promised land. Remember, God provided food for them, manna from heaven, He provided meat. Remember the quails that came and he provided for them. He provided water from a rock. And yet, not only that, but he was their sustainer. He's a provider. And we see him leading them. So it was a chance for them to remind themselves of what God had done in the past. It lasted from Sabbath to Sabbath, which included a day, day ceremony, which focused on water. And each night there was a ceremony that focused on light reminding themselves that God provided water in the wilderness and he led the children of Israel in the wilderness by a pillar of, who knows, fire. So it was significant in reminding themselves of what God did. It's interesting that rabbis called this festival the holiday. Like it was like it. This was the one that they kind of looked to. I don't know if you could equate that, but what would come to your mind if you were saying, what is our holiday of the year that you look forward to? Not my birthday? No, I'm just kidding. Christmas, usually, someone would say, or Easter for us as believers, but they called it the holiday. It was it, it was a festival. It was one of the more popular celebrations of Jews, and that's where they would say it was a big holiday. So I'm going to kind of give a summary of what the daily ceremony looked at. Bear with me because it's important for us to understand what took place because our context, we're separated. One, uh, not just being in that time frame as a first century Jew or not even being Jewish, which some of you may be, I don't know, but still not practicing. And since we have the festival booths at my house, so come over, John. Uh, most likely there's this separation of what took place. And so this daily festival that took place, there was this parade or this ritual that the priest would take this golden pitcher. He'd walk from the temple, then he'd walk down to, the, uh, to get water, and it was a symbol where he'd pick it up there would be this procession of musicians and this kind of craze going on that they would walk down to get the water. He would get the water. He'd turn around. While he was doing that, up at the temple, there were sacrifices taking place. And so there was a lot of things happening. And they would continue following the, the, the as he had the pitcher water back up. And they would be singing. And then he would take it to a silver basin and he'd pour it out. And this was a reminder to say God, as provider, provided the wilderness, but it was also to be reflective because during that time, Israel remember, they didn't have like sprinklers or water systems like we do or wells necessarily, like with a pump like us, but or living in Washington where there's a plethora of water all the time. Uh, But they were leading into the season where God would provide rain for the crops. And so they were almost like anticipating, God, you will provide rain for our crops and for our our animals. You will provide. And so is this anticipation coming into the next season. As they were walking, as a priest held up the water and pitcher and going to pour it down, The priest would quote from Isaiah chapter 12, verse three, which says, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Interesting that this even had a messianic tone to their celebration of pointing to this water point out wells of salvation. And so they were to remind themselves and reflect on what God did for Israel and what he would do in the future. Now, at nighttime, there was another ceremony that they had these huge, these four huge candelabras in the temple court. And what they would take place, it took place in the treasury or the court of women. And they would, people would dance, they would sing songs. There was even some kind of like fire dance going on a little bit that they had. And it was to symbolize this light because God led Israel in the wilderness as a, with a pillar of light. And it was Something that we need to understand that as Jesus has this time, this what he says in our context. And verses 1 and 2, read with me, starting in verse 7. Now, after this, Jesus went to, into Galilee. So he's in Galilee. But he, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, Jews... Now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. We'll stop there. So that gives us a timetable. John's highlighting that. He's wanting to grab our attention so we know the time frame. He's in Galilee, and actually he's in his hometown, and his brother's around, and they don't, they kind of almost like don't believe who he is as a Messiah, and they kind of mockingly say, oh, are you going to go and show yourself at this festival? And so they have this kind of mocking tone in what they're addressing with Jesus. He kind of says, well, I'm not going to go, but then he goes. It's not because he's being deceptive, but his timetable is not based on them. He's not proving a point to them. He is the Messiah who fulfills the festival. And so as we see that, we see people, Jesus arrives quietly, and he starts teaching. This was his intention in pointing out how the Old Testament speaks and point to him. People are amazed. They're like, how did you become so educated without receiving an education? How do you know so much of the Old Testament, but yet you weren't under the rabbis or the Pharisees and that kind of educational system? And they're amazed. So there's this discussion about his credentials that in verses 17 through 36, they wonder if this could be the Christ. They also wonder if Jesus is saying, and they question, is he demon-possessed? And there's this dialogue going on, who is this Jesus that knows so much? And I love Jesus's answers, because in verse 32, they want to arrest him, but he answers all of their credential questions like, Where did he go to school? And in one sense, he would say, like, heaven. Well, where are you going? Or where are you from? He should say, heaven. And where are you going? Heaven. Like, that's his answer. It's simple. Of the Father, doing the Father's will, what he's called to do. For Jesus, the festival is anything but an occasion for Jewish nationalistic pride, or even for reliving the past. Rather, he announces that he's a very embodiment of what the Jewish people celebrate. And so with our kind of understanding of this festival and how big it was for the Jews at the time, now we come to the kind of very important moment, what Jesus says. Read verse 37 with me. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We'll stop there. So in this context, here's this daily feast of the water ritual going on. Well, it's the last day. And it says the great day. That's because it was like the highlight What they would do, instead of doing it once, they would do seven times. They'd do that parade seven different times. Pour out the water. They would cry out from Isaiah chapter 12, verse three. They would do that over and over again, seven different times. And here Jesus is waiting for the moment. Man, climatic, it's moving, it's building up. And what does he say? Oh, I love it. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Talk about knowing when to say something. Jesus was spot on. He's like, You guys are all looking, thinking of what God did temporarily for Israel, also for the future in this kind of mindset. But look at eternally what Jesus said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus was saying what took place in the wilderness wasn't just for them at that moment of sustenance. It was also pointing to him, the greater one than Moses, the one who would come and fulfill the meaning of this festival this is crazy. Like Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. His credentials were questioned and he says, "Listen, right there, this whole festival what you're celebrating, remembering, he's fulfilling it. He gives living water." Maybe your mind quickly goes like, "Oh, I remember a conversation earlier in John. John chapter 4. Jesus is in Samaria and there's this woman at the well and there's this question going on and what does Jesus tell to her, tell her? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that festival was pointing to eternal goals that is only fulfilled in Christ. Not a momentary sustenance, but eternal forever sustenance Jesus the one who gives living water so in one sense as the priest would quote from the prophet Isaiah and they said with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation they were even declaring that this was pointing to something even bigger and where's those wells of salvation no, it comes from Christ and him alone that he's the only one worthy the only one able to to fulfill what is being mentioned Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So even these messianic texts in the book of Isaiah were pointing to what Jesus declared right then and there. If you're thirsty, he gives living water. We must look at what Jesus said and did and is very intentional. He offers true everlasting salvation that's found in him and him alone. If you believe in him, you will never thirst again. So the ceremony, which was reminding Israel of God's faithfulness in the past and his provision, now he's saying, "Let's, let's look at this in a different perspective now. Eternally, Jesus is faithful and able to deliver. Jesus is over the Sabbath is over the feast of tabernacles or booths, and he fulfills this feast. As they will look at water as a symbol and a reminder, he is the one who gives what is needed forever. Not just for the future, but here and now also. Notice what he says in verse 39, what it says, now this he said about the spirit, those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's even saying, hey, I'm going to be giving you the spirit, which will remind you the living waters that you have. He points out that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit who dwells within all true Christians, connected us, connected to us inescapably by divine cords that cannot be broken, gives us a spring of living water that wells up within. Well, obviously, this was going to stir up a reaction from the crowd. I mean, as the ceremony is highlighting this whole feast, and then Jesus just says, "He's the one of living waters that offers living waters, there's going to be a reaction. In verses 40 to the end of the chapter 44, we see different reactions. Some believed. Some said that he wants to be the prophet or he is the Christ, and others wanted to arrest him. It's true, it's the gospel, when you're confronted with who Christ is and what he's done, there's going to be a response. There needs to be either ignore it, reject it, or accept it to receive it. But that's the reality. This is what Christ declared, and yet there's people responding. Well, we turn to chapter 8, because now we highlight the nighttime ceremony. You know, verses 53 of chapter 7 and Chapter 8 all the way up to uh, verse 11, uh, there's a story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Your Bible probably has brackets that says this was not part of, like, earlier manuscripts. And so there's different reasons why, one, this was orally, traditionally passed on. And so this obviously one of those things where you could say Jesus did, um, that there shows his heart and his heart for people. Some say that it was placed here later because of reflection of verse 24 of the previous chapter where it's about not judging. And he kind of they said, this is a great place to put that story because of that. Um, regardless, it kind of breaks up the ninth theme. And so I'm not going to go over that text, but if we go to verse 12, read with me there. Now, again, Jesus spoke to them. Again, it's, it's the night of the, that nighttime ceremony, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what does he say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We'll stop there. So verse 20 highlights the location. He's in the the court. Of women or treasury. Remember, this is where that huge four candelabras were lit at night. They're bright. They were singing and dancing. And it was a celebration, a reminder that God led Israel as, uh, through the wilderness, through the pillar of fire, as a pillar of fire. And so now he takes a moment as it's cl- being climatic to that point. What does he say now? I am the light of the world. So there he declares during this festival two important parts water living water, and now he says, I am the light of the world, a light of life, and so everything that he was doing was building up to this moment, and he was highlighting, look it, I've fulfilled this. This is God who sent me, God the Father, and who he is. Now, in the Old Testament, we always see this relationship between God being light, and it's usually referenced to a saving action. It's usually a messianic kind of action or statement, For example, in the Old Testament, star of Jacob, or light of Israel, light of the nations, or the son of righteousness is always pointing to Jesus. And so for him declaring, I am the light of the world, was saying, I'm fulfilling these statements about me, that he's here. And so they would be very familiar with the term light. And so Jesus boldly declares that he's a light of the world. It's interesting that even today, though, we think of light and darkness kind of good and bad or good and evil. Um, I know with kids, especially if it's dark, what do they want sometimes when they can't see? I'm scared. I want a night light. Like light symbolizes even personally of something great. Or I think of, I hate to go there, but Star Wars. uh, You have the dark side, and then you have like the Jedi. I know that you're like, John, this is a bad analogy. I know. But even that is where you see darkness is strong. But here's one thing that I got to remind myself, though. It's not just like good versus evil. Uh, Jesus is light who has all authority, who conquers sin and death. He's our victorious king. Like, it's not just like, oh, no, I'm hoping he'll win. No, he already won. Like, he's our conquering king. That's the great thing that we get to remind ourselves. That's why in John chapter 1, verse 4, it writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness not, has not overcome it. Jesus is it. He fulfills it. He says, I am the light of the world. He conquered sin and death. He conquered darkness, if you want to use that kind of analogy that he's using. So even why Jesus saying what he said... And then even declaring who he is by them saying, well, you need two witnesses to testify. He's like, okay, myself and the father. And he's like, you would have known this if you know my father. And so that's kind of like a, like, wow, he, he jabbed them right there. He's like, you don't know, you know, the letter of the law, but you know, the heart of the law, you're missing the point. Even this tabernacle, this festival of tabernacles that are going on, you're missing it. See, John is showing that there's no middle ground. People must choose sides. They either are for Jesus or against Jesus. Neutrality is not an option. And so he talks about the truth that will set you free. And then in chapter 9, we have a visual aid that happens. And I'll just kind of summarize briefly, but there's this man who's born blind. Jesus heals him. So in a way, this is Jesus's practical or visual aid. He's like, here's a man who has only seen darkness, and then he sees a light all of a sudden. There's this dialogue that the blind man who received sight with religious leaders, they go back and forth. Who's this man? Now, it's kind of interesting how John contrasts. you remember in John chapter five, there's a man who was uh, not able to walk for 38 years, and what did he do? He kind of like tattled on Jesus. He's like, he's the guy that did it because he didn't want to get in trouble, Well, the man who is born blind that receives sight, instead, he gets cast out of the synagogue because he believes in Jesus. And there's this interesting contrast between these two different men. But I want to highlight just verse 35 through 38. It says, now Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, "And, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. What a just interesting couple of verses that we see that here's this man who couldn't see. Jesus talks about how he gives light. He's the light of the world, the one of life. The man who, all he saw, and then all of a sudden he sees the author, the one who gives life, the savior. And Jesus says, you have seen him. And how does he respond? He worships him. There is, again, that response. Jesus said, I give living water. The crowd responded in different ways. He's the light of the world. And yet, how do you respond? That's a reminder for us. Because as this festival pointed to God's past in leading and guiding, it also was for the present a reminder of his providing rain. But ultimately, it was a messianic point there was something better coming, and Jesus fulfilled it. This festival, they called the holiday, the rabbis did. It had history. It had tradition. People were excited when it would come about. They would say that on the hillside outside of Jerusalem that you would see all these booths that people set up because they would live in it, and there would be these different fires, and people would just engage in conversation. It was a big deal, but they were missing the point. That as it did point to God in his faithfulness and provision in the past, it was also pointing to something greater that was among them. I don't know if we can say that we have a holiday that is deep in meaning, but nationally is missed because of just having a festive time or goodwill towards others. I don't know if we have one of those, but you can miss the point. And it's about Christ. And that's what he was pointing out here. Jesus is the only one who offers living water that is eternal, not temporal. Jesus is the only one who leads us from darkness into light. Jesus is the Messiah who leads sinners to salvation, wanders into the true promised land, his presence. He fulfills that. So first, I want to just encourage you today as we look at this, you're like, okay, John, that's great. What do I need to be reminded of? Well, first... Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. I like to exercise, and you're like, I can't tell. Well, I do, I promise. Um, and sometimes when you start looking at different workout equipment, they'll always like, try to brag, like, get all your muscle groups in one with this one workout. And as nice as that is, you're, you're like, man, I could pay this and not have to buy all these other machines. Uh, it's never really truly properly working out different muscle groups. Maybe a little bit, but not truly, you know, And it's never all inclusive. Let's just put it that way. And I use that because it's like, but with the gospel, what Christ did, that's all that's needed. It's not this and anything else. It's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus X, Y, and Z. It's not Jesus and, hey, you better do all these things to get right. No, it's just Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus fulfills it. He is the one that does it. That's why Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God shows his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning at your worst, Christ died. You don't clean yourself up first say, okay, I'm ready now for salvation. He's like, no, I died for your worst. So as we come to knowing that, man, Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. Charles Spurgeon said, to the unbeliever, Christ is nothing. But to the believer, Christ is everything To the unbeliever, a mere opinion about Christ is everything. To the true believer, the saving knowledge of Christ has covered up all mere opinions concerning him. He knows Christ and lives in him, and Christ also lives in him. It's just Jesus. He's sufficient. He's the one that gives living water. He's the light of the world. It's pointing to saying, that's what we need is just Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, which here's a little side note, we have a wonderful adult Sunday school that Robert's going through the book of Hebrews and doing a great job. Uh, You can check it out in the morning uh, in person at 8.30 or on our Facebook Live. Okay. (laughs) But I love going through the book of Hebrews and he says in verse uh, 11 of chapter 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away our sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So even as there were Having this yearly festival as a reminder. Jesus says, I fulfilled this. It's him. The light, the water, it's him. It's just Jesus. One pastor coined it, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's all we need. He's sufficient. But also, not only sufficient, he's our sustainer. By Jesus declaring that he fulfills this festival, that he's enough, he's enough as our sufficient sacrifice, but also as we go forward daily, he sustains us. That's why Colossians chapter one, verse 17 says, and he is before all things and in him, all things are held together. He sustains us daily. His grace is our sustaining grace that we receive. Two things we need in life would be water and light. You need those. Without these things, well, Jesus is declaring, hey, eternally speaking, it's him. He's sufficient, and he's a sustainer. But I want to end with there's also even something bigger, even pointing, not just what Jesus said right then and there, but also what will take place in the future. Because there's this eschatological motive that takes place. In Revelation chapter 21, we read, and he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, and the end. To the thirsty, I will give him from springs of water of life without payment. Then he talks about the new city, the new Jerusalem, a new heavens. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its, light, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Or in Revelation chapter 22, it says, starting verse 1, The angel showed John the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face... His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. It's interesting that here Jesus declares that he's the living water. He's the light of the world. And even talking about in the last days, talking about the new heavens and new earth, you see the flows of living water, the light that comes from him, no need for a lamp anymore. He's pointing also what he's to declare, that he makes all wrong things right, the new heaven, new earth, this eternal perspective. So even Jesus is saying, I not only fulfill this, but look at what's going to happen. I love that. What a great reminder. What a great Savior we have, who's our merciful and faithful high priest, the one who has gone before us, the author, finisher of our faith. What a great Savior we have. Will you pray with me, church? Father, thank you for your word. And just as we look, not only what Jesus fulfilled for a first century Jew, proclaim that he is the living water. Lord, what a great reminder for us that salvation is from Christ and Christ alone. Not just water where we'll thirst again, but when we drink of Christ, meaning we respond to him, we turn to him, he offers eternal life. And his sacrifice is good enough. It's sufficient. That's why on the cross he said it, it is finished. Lord, if there's anyone that has not or does not know Christ, that they would know that he not only loves them, died for them, but here's a chance to respond, the one who gives living water. Or even as Jesus said, he's the light of the world, that he not only leads and guides, that gives true light, but he conquered darkness. Jesus is our conquering king. Who conquered sin. What a great thing for us to be reminded as we go forward. Jesus conquered sin and death. Oh, what a great reminder as we live daily, as we battle sin, as we battle the flesh, Jesus conquered. And so we go forward, not for victory, but from victory in Christ. And Lord, what a reminder for us too with a heavenly mindset. As we see in Revelation, it points to the eternal perspective, the picture of a new heaven and new earth, where we long to see that the flowing of living water from the throne, that the light that is from Christ, that is good. And so we long for that day. Lord, help us to live boldly. Thank you for, as you lead us and guide us each day, that you'd bless everyone here as we go forward. We look forward to those opportunities that we have to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done. Use us this week, Lord, and help us to really say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Help us to be willing. And we celebrate all that you're going to do. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.